1: Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. How are you? I'm very good, thank you very much. Uh, Right, let's get straight into it, shall we? Uh, This week, we are talking about a man called Paul Alexander, the last of the Iron Lungs. So, it's the summer of 1952 in Dallas, Texas, now, the temperature, even by Texan standards, is unbearable. Temperatures consistently hitting near 40 degrees centigrade for almost a too straight hot. month. Can you imagine that? Forty that's degrees. That's too hot.
2: That's, that's sticky hot.
1: Yeah. Well, I remember, we mentioned it last week very, very briefly. I like as well, where I'm on my second line of my script and we've gone off already. <laughs> um, the, the summer of 2018, World Cup summer, that was unbearably hot.
2: But the thing is, the World Cup was on at the same time, so everyone was drunk nine days out of ten. I don't know why I got weeks wrong. Six days out of- I don't know. You know what I mean, everyone was <laughs> drunk a lot. And yeah. <laughs> it was just fucking great, because no one cared that it was hot. And The people only realised that it was fucking boiling after we got knocked out of the World Cup, because everyone realised that life was shit again. But whilst uh, we were yeah. in the World Cup, everyone was completely fine.
1: Yeah, and, and obviously the the sobriety was is, was actually quite okay I, I mean we were all drunk but we got sober very very quickly because we just sweated out the alcohol immediately as soon as we drank it so you could just keep this drinking is
2: I remember the open England's opening game at the World Cup I remember it we I, I was we were both working in uh, the dungeons and I think I don't know if you were there that day I have no idea but I was like I need to get out early because I'm not fucking missing this game and I think <laughs> uh someone gave me end of day cover really nice of them oh, I was like great nice. And I remember being like, right, my friends are in this pub, like on this point of London, not far, probably about half an hour walk. I fucking sprinted the whole thing, like sprinted across like Waterloo Bridge, everything. I just like got there and they were like, oh, we're moving. And we went to a club, Club Tropicana, which is like a nightclub. And we got there and they had a massive screen up. And as soon as we won, three lines came on and everyone just started going mental. And it was probably the happiest I've ever been.
1: Excellent. I remember the, the, the Columbia game, that penalty shootout oh the entire the entire pub that i was in just went mad in fact there's a video of just all of us just jumping and hugging and going mad Best summer of my life best summer of life you know how like our parents I... generation say about there's that, apparently a the summer of 69 or whatever it is like, yeah summer I love so yeah, there's like some famous summer back in the 70s in the uk for, for our generation it's it's summer of 2018 2018 it was fucking great i the columbia game i didn't uh, it's a shame now if I could go back and change it I
2: would but I was with a now ex-girlfriend at the time and we just watched it in her bedroom which was really nice oh. at the time but I wish I was surrounded by like beers flying all over the place.
1: Mm, yeah nothing, nothing better than football fans just throwing their beer in the air.
2: Yeah just like you fall in love with the man next to you for a little while it was great.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, yes, uh, speaking of hot summers, uh, as I say, it's 1952 in Dallas, Texas. Uh, and as I say, for even Texan standards, it, the, the temperatures are unbearable. It's it's nearly 40 degrees just every bloody day. It's just too hot, right? But beside all that, uh, sorry, despite all that, sorry, I should say, the local swimming pool is closed. But it's not just the pool that's closed its doors. Cinemas, bars, bowling alleys... Most places where people congregate are all shut. Locals are going to work, if it's even open, and then they go straight home. Children are going to school and then coming straight home. Some are playing out, but their parents are telling them to stay away from certain children or homes. Which sounds eerily like life in corona times now, and with good reason.
2: Except, yeah, except we can't even fucking go out to come
1: home by a certain time. (laughs) That's true. Uh, there's been an outbreak of a dangerous disease but it's not the old rona that's getting people concerned though this disease is as deadly and life-changing there's been another outbreak of polio but Uh-oh. what is polio so poliomyelitis or polio for short is a viral infection contracted by coming into contact with poo basically no easy way to say it it lives in poo and if you ingest it you contract it basically. Uh, not, not saying, like, I mean, there are definitely some people out there that like to eat that kind of stuff and don't get polio, but like mm. if you eat it, you're likely to get it. And if you're eating poo, mm. please stop. Just put a point Yeah, that out. please don't. So, uh, you're probably thinking, How often does one come into contact with poo? Uh, and considering that polio has been infecting humans for almost as long as there have been humans, it's actually quite easy it kind of comes down to hygiene. Generally, it's due to the fact that hands aren't clean when preparing food or just sticking them in your mouth, but also animals leave their poo all over the place. In fact, humans have been using manure to help them farm for millennia. So it's been Mm. an ever-present threat to humans. And I've literally never said the word poo so much in my life than I have in that last paragraph. Poo. (laughs) Poo. Um, A quick aside as well. I went to a subway recently, uh, and everyone was wearing uh, gloves, they were wearing face masks, they've got their hair nets on, you know, stuff that we just uh, have come accustomed to in today's day and age, except for one bloke on the uh, conveyor belt of sandwich, I'm going to call it, who wasn't wearing a face mask. Now, I'm sure that of that employee has a valid reason for not having to wear a face mask but I got a bit like eked out about it I was like oh how dare you like you're actually breathing in the vicinity of my sandwich and it really freaked me out that like before corona times you wouldn't have even batted an eyelid about it mm. and I just thought ah, maybe I'm getting too too uh hygienic about it all, a bit too Nikola Tesla, shout out Nikola Tesla episode, I think that might be like episode six or something. Go listen back to that. Um, <laughs> where Nikola Tesla in his life, like he he couldn't eat a dinner without going through at least like 12 napkins because he just couldn't get dirty.
2: Yeah, a bit of a germaphobe.
1: Yeah, a bit of a germaphobe. And I think I'm becoming a bit of a germaphobe. And, and we get onto it in this episode where we definitely should not become germaphobes. All right, so anyway no because you need germs to build up antibodies yes you do and we'll get on to that so what does polio do exactly now for the majority of people who contract polio it's asymptomatic meaning they'll show no symptoms at all and it will just pass through if their immune system is you know okay enough it will deal with it nice and quietly over a couple of weeks but for the men that's just like covid yeah for a lot of people who have developed covid. Now, for the minority of people, symptoms can range from simple flu-like symptoms such as achy muscles, sore stomach and headaches. Again, relatively similar to today. And for the minority of the minority, symptoms can affect the nerves in the spine and the base of the brain, causing paralysis, shrinking of muscles and deformities of the joints. So if you get that really badly, you're fucked. It, It can really mess up with your life. Mm, definitely doesn't so, unpleasant. Ah, uh, it's not at all. So, if polio has been around humans forever, why haven't we heard of huge epidemics of polio throughout history? Well, mainly because humans are filthy, right? Arguably, one of the cleanest societies in history were the Romans, and I think that's fair to say. And even they shared a sponge on a stick to wipe their asses within public toilets and coughed and spat. <laughs> In public baths. So, you know, for the most part, humans caught the polio virus early on as a child, and like the majority of people that caught it, it passed without any causing any major issues, right? Mm. But, But there are some that it affects more than others, of course. In history, we see images of people with deformed limbs, particularly the legs. Even 32nd President of the United States, Franklin D. Roosevelt, was wheelchair bound, losing, his, uh, losing the use of his legs after contracting polio. But for the most part, the polio virus was just another in a group of viruses that humans just, you know, naturally caught in their lifetime. It's a bit like chicken pox in a way. It's almost like a rite of passage, you know. Um, have you ever heard of like chicken pox parties?
2: Yeah, yeah, you get everyone infected at the same time. Because you want your kids to get chicken pox when they're young because if you don't you get it when you're older, it can have really damaging consequences. Exactly. Like it can really affect fertility.
1: Exactly. For most humans, they develop chicken pox as a child, they get over it pretty easily and it's not that life threatening. If you get chicken pox it's just as a bit an itchy. adult Yeah, it's just a bit itchy, but if you get chicken pox as an adult, oh man, that shit can kill you.
2: Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it, how children are like not are susceptible to certain things but then well, you get some people that are like have chicken pox scars for their entire life yeah
1: i mean yeah sometimes it's just an unfortunate side effect of it all so anyway that was until around the 20th century when weirdly we all got too clean so it wasn't perfect right but toilet paper in the uk didn't come around until the 1870s meaning that people wiped their asses with old newspapers if they wiped their asses at all before then, they must so, have had itchy bottoms. Oh, I must have had itchy bottoms. Yeah, but but, but uh, you know, around the 1870s and onwards, people you know began to start wiping their asses a bit more. Uh, they put clean their hands a bit more, and bathing became cleaner. So the more affluent families around town, they might have had heated plumbing for their baths. But even the poorest families that maybe couldn't afford heated plumbing, they could boil a load of water. And then sit in a tub to clean, so even they mm. could properly clean themselves. Whereas before, you either might not bother, and you can go weeks without having a wash properly, or you know it'd be, yeah, just what you've managed to carry from the well or a river that could be contaminated. Mm. So again, this is not perfect, but when you're sharing the same bath water as your your family, you know, it, at least you're clean. But you are sharing the same bath water with dad. So I ugh. mean,
2: I don't i don't have baths now because i don't like sitting in dirty water
1: <laughs> yeah i mean apparently it's more like a you, you don't well we used to bathe to clean ourselves a lot of people now don't bathe to clean themselves they bathe to relax and then after well, they I bathe get it in a like, shower
2: yeah i get that I, I get that completely and also like sitting in the water can relax your muscles if you've done exercise of some sort so i get it
1: hmm but yeah, so who'd have thought that you know, just sort of a century later, you could sell your bathwater? Which you know, shout out to Shoko Asahara. Check out episode seven, <laughs> yeah, for that. I'm coming at all the plugs today. That's two episodes I've plugged.
2: <laughs> Can we get to five?
1: Oh well, no. <laughs> so over time, the streets also got cleaner. Homes filled up with more and more cleaning products. Children's toys came in plastic packaging which protected it from the outside bacteria and food would also start to be produced in cleaner factories that again was placed in protective packaging. And ironically, all these advancements in cleanliness meant that humans had not been exposed to various illnesses as children, meaning their immune systems couldn't handle it when polio came to stay. And in 1894, Mm. the first epidemic of polio in America came to town and it would not be the last so yeah you briefly just mentioned that you know humans should get dirty you know don't be too clean right
2: this is this is the thing with like the current generation as well because I think our generation would probably probably the last of go outside play football roll around in the mud go out until like early, all the hours playing with your friends outside whereas like the current generation of kids are inside on technology they won't be like out there with as much dirt and grime and germs as we were so obviously we're still like mollycoddled in terms of like germs and stuff to those a century before but i think the kids nowadays have a real problem
1: yeah so i i, I spoke to my mum about this episode the other day uh she's she, she's a nurse by trade that's what she does and um she was telling me how when my two younger sisters were babies she's uh, would sterilize the bottles and the, the bottle tops and all this sort of stuff, constantly sterilizing them, trying to make them clean. And then my nan said to my mum, What are you doing? She went, Well, I'm, I'm just trying to sterilize them. She went, Why? Because they've just been crawling all over the floor for the last two hours, just picking up and eating everything that, like, you know, they're, they're, they're just crawling all over the floor, getting dirty. So what are you going to, what's the point in sterilizing the bottles? She was like, Oh, that's yeah. Oh, all right, good point. And she kind of like didn't do it as much. And, you know, you know, you know, you'd suggest that it gives them a better immune system by having to deal with this new bacteria.
2: Yeah, I suppose the initial thought process is you want everything to be clean because you want them to be immediately okay. Yeah, but like, yeah. if your kid gets a cold, that's okay because then they build. Obviously, you can't build up antibodies against cold because it mutates so much. But you need to build up the the old antibodies, which is why some people have the. I think it's a dumb argument, but some people have the argument that we shouldn't have lockdown and we should just kind of have survival of the fittest with COVID like if you get it and survive fair play but i think it's a bit too nasty for that because then you would see a hell of a lot of people die Mm. i think when it comes to like common colds like go crazy we will never get rid of it but with something like covid i think measures were right to be put in place
1: uh yeah to a degree yes I'm, i'm sure i mean the whole herd immunity argument is uh philosophically speaking an interesting one um
2: but then but then I like to think that if herd immunity was happening, we would have saw the fucking benefits at some point. We wouldn't have had the I don't know, December, January spike. Because surely everyone should have contracted it at that point.
1: Uh, well no, because obviously not enough people have come into contact and I it, it wouldn't be a case of within a, within a year. Think about um uh plague uh plague, um the Black Death and whatnot during like the sixteen hundreds in London and whatnot that just rife uh, went rife with Europe. Uh mm. I'm assuming there was some sort of quarantine measures for some people, but for the most part... Um, there was lockdowns, yeah. There were lockdowns to a degree, but people still got to work, and there wouldn't have been uh, a government supporting its its nation like ours like does now with the furlough scheme. So people still got to go out and work and grind and whatnot. So, but yeah, I mean, loads and loads of people died, but even that lasted a, a couple of years, didn't it?
2: It's like the Spanish flu as well in 1918. Um, that, just, that was a case of you either got it and survived or got it and died and eventually it just went out like died out by itself
1: yeah yeah
2: which is awful but obviously now the vaccine like i sorry to take us off on a tangent but if you look at israel's numbers at the minute to do with covid their economy is basically fully open and i think they've pop- uh, vaccinated 80 percent of their population and their numbers are plummeting like vaccinations are working which is such a good sign
1: oh vaccinations do work and we will get on to that uh later on in the episode about vaccinations amazing yeah so The polio virus loves the warm weather and every other summer was marred with epidemics of polio in the United States with fewer people having been exposed to the virus as children which is when your immune system arguably is your strongest because it's boosted by the antibodies that we get from our mothers people were more susceptible to catching it and it would have some disastrous effects so yeah uh, I mean I'm not a parent and maybe I shouldn't be telling you what to do but if you are a parent let your kids run around in the dirt. Let your kids just fuck about and just be kids. Dettol does not protect. Fact. All right? Mm. So, with all that in mind, we will head back to Dallas, Texas in the summer of 1952, where six-year-old Paul Alexander is playing outside in the rain when he starts to feel ill. His neck aches and he has a headache. He goes home to his mother, who sees his face is flushed and feverish and immediately sends him to bed. He spends the next couple of days in his mum and dad's bed with colouring books just to keep him entertained when his symptoms, they get worse. Paul can now no longer hold his crayons. He struggles to talk, but worse, he couldn't breathe properly. His parents feared the worst and immediately took him to hospital, but what they were met with was a hospital almost bursting at the seams with polio patients. See, in 1952... There were 58,000 cases of polio nationwide in the United States. In Texas alone, there were 4,000 cases. So fear was amplified by the fact as well that there was no cure for the disease. And moreover, Mm. it wasn't exactly clear how people contracted it. Even doctors were afraid of getting infected themselves and bringing it home to their families. Often doctors would make observations from the doorway as to not get too close to the patients paul and his mother were left waiting to see a doctor surrounded by sick children eventually a doctor looked over young paul but gave his mother a damning verdict there was nothing to be done for him he wouldn't survive the doctor then left Fuck. yeah the doctor then left paul barely breathing on a gurney in the corridor while his mother stood there stunned by his assessment now, his mother's inability to move would inadvertently save him. See, another doctor, assuming that they hadn't been seen, stopped by to look over the child and immediately picked him up and ran him to an operating theatre to perform an emergency tracheotomy, which is where they, they like cut a hole into your throat straight into your breathing windpipe. And it helps them helps hmm. you breathe because the polio virus right, okay. uh, was ca- causing some uh, fluids to build up in his lungs. He, that's why he couldn't breathe properly. Right. So a few days later, Paul woke up but couldn't move his body at all. He was breathing, but it wasn't him doing it. Air was being pushed into his mouth and then forced out, and there was a mechanical wheezing sound echoing around the room. He was encased in a butter yellow metal tube his head the only thing outside of it looking around he could see rows of butter yellow metal tubes of various sizes around the room he couldn't talk because of the tracheotomy but he could hear the sound of children in pain nurses walked up and down the aisles giving aid to them where they could paul was in an iron lung and it was the only thing that was keeping him alive so what is an iron lung Now, James, I've sent you a picture of uh, Paul. Yeah, I'm looking at them right now. uh, Iron lungs, they're fucking huge. Put simply, it's a big old cylinder made of iron parts, almost looking like a submarine with portholes on the side of the tube for access. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Now, on, on one end of the tube, the patient's head sits outside with a vinyl hood around the neck to create a seal. On the other end is a makeshift diaphragm membrane which is attached to a mechanical pump that pushes and pulls the diaphragm continually. Now what this does is it it causes pressure that forces the patient's abdomen to expand taking in air. When the mechanical pump then pushes the diaphragm back into the tube it forces the patient's abdomen to exhale, exhale. So without the iron lung forcing young Paul to breathe He would be dead because Paul's uh, Paul's diagnosis of polio had actually paralysed his entire body, including his abdomen, meaning that he couldn't breathe on his own. So he couldn't actually move his chest, which meant he couldn't breathe. Um, Mm. The only thing I can kind of liken it to, having not been in one myself, you know, when you go swimming and you go right, you go swimming right down to the deep end and you try and see how deep you can go and you feel that pressure on your chest. That's mm-hmm. kind of what the iron lung does when it presses in. It it forces your chest to sort of push down and you you then breathe out. And then when it pulls out the other way, it opens your chest up and you end up like forcefully taking in air. Mm. The only weird thing about it is obviously it affects how we talk. So like right now we've been we've yeah. been talking for like what 20 odd minutes or so into the episode now. And um, it breathing for us is just completely unconscious. Like I'm not aware of when I'm doing it, or even necessarily how I'm doing it. But as I've just said that sentence, yeah. I've breathed out, and then before I started this one right now, I breathed in enough air that I can now get through this sentence. Whereas if you're in an iron lung, particularly for Paul, who's not breathing on his own accord, uh, you can only talk when you're pushing air out through your vocal cords out your mouth. You can't talk when you're breathing in, so when we're able to, we're able to form sentences and, you know, for us two on this show, rather long bloody sentences and episodes, um, <laughs> because we're able to, uh, you know, time our breathing to how we want to talk. Whereas, as I'm probably going to yeah. sound stupid now, but when the iron lung is pushing air out, you can have a normal, <gasps> and then you'd start to do that because the machine is working on like a, it's pushing in like every couple of seconds almost monotonously it's just doing it doing it doing it doing it whereas we can manipulate Mm -hmm. our breathing to how we want to say a sentence whereas he can't so he'd be talking not and then he can carry on talking yeah it makes sense
2: yeah yeah i get you so he his sentences will kind of be broken up
1: yeah they would be yeah um so yeah, now Paul is in an iron lung. Obviously, there will be a picture of an iron lung on our social media if you want to have a check out what it looks like. It's it's quite it's quite weird looking. It's massive.
2: It, it yeah, it it's really it's like a kind of a it's not like a coffin. I think a submarine, like you said, is a a good analogy of it. It's so yeah. strange. It's fucking like it's yeah. Just go and have a look.
1: Go and have a look. So, for over a year, Paul would lie still in his iron lung, unable to talk thanks to that life saving tracheotomy he received. Often, he would lie...
2: Also, just while while we're here, shout out to that fucking doctor. Like, the first doctor was a dickhead, but second doctor, well played.
1: Yeah, yeah. The first doctor was a bit of a dick. He saw the child and was like, look, I've got so many fucking patients around here that I can help, and this one I can't. And then the other doctor was like, I don't care about that. This person, this person, regardless, deserves a chance and gave him that one. Yeah, absolutely. And
2: that's that's the mindset a doctor should have.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll come on to some of the uh, opinions the doctors have during this era. So because obviously uh, Paul can't talk at the moment due to the tracheotomy he uh, got on his neck that saved his life. uh, Often he would lie in his iron lung for hours just in his own mess since he couldn't tell the nurse that he needed to relieve himself, and obviously he would only get cleaned up when the nurses did their rounds, so, you know, that's not very nice. Uh, His parents would visit almost every day, but eye movements and blinking could only express so much for Paul. Now, Paul and the other children on the ward, they would try to entertain themselves as much as they could, obviously being stuck in an iron lung, they'd pull faces at each other and whatnot, but, you know, for the most part... Paul's existence was a mundane one, and even a bit of a sad one. Uh, In an interview, uh, Paul Alexander said that you try to make friends, but you kind of didn't want to because you'd make friends one day, and then they died the next due to the polio. Mm. So uh, it's a mild one. Now, in time, Paul actually would recover from polio, but the damage done to his body was irreversible. He was paralysed from the neck down, and couldn't breathe on his own that sucks for like a six-year-old like well mm. he's eight by this point but yeah he would spend the rest of his life in his iron lung so paul now eight years old uh and you know being eight this is incredible he would have a an adult sense of his own life and his own mortality to a degree is like, i'm eight and i'm just stuck in here now and you just sort of mm. you grow up so quick right Uh, so he knew that his life would never be the same again he even heard doctors doing their rounds say that he wouldn't live long and some even said that he maybe he shouldn't be alive at all considering how his life was going to be going forward they had this Mm. there was sort of an there was an undercurrent in the united states at the time that disabled people need not be seen in general population in fact there were institutions for them to live in but paul's condition was so serious that even drastic thoughts from some wondering if it would be worth living at all in his case were going around yeah so, so you know yeah as you were saying like all doctors you know should think like the the nice one that we saw but quite a lot of them were thinking that's not a life to live and you know they, they probably themselves wouldn't have taken him in for that emergency operation it's quite sad
2: it is very sad every life's worth living yeah
1: now This attitude gave Paul a natural dislike to medical professionals. Obviously, not all shared these ideas, like we've mentioned, that doctor that saved Paul's life thought that he was worth saving. Uh, And a physiotherapist who came to visit Paul thought the same. Mrs Sullivan began began to visit Paul twice a week, gaining his trust and helping him learn a technique that would vastly improve his quality of life. She worked for a charity called the March of the Dimes, which was dedicated to eradicating polio. Now, she began to teach Paul a breathing technique called Glossopharyngeal, uh, Glossopharyngeal breathing, or as uh, Paul would call it, frog breathing, since it involved opening the mouth and making a gup noise. Um, I've watched a video on this, how they do it, and I've even tried it myself, and it's very, very difficult doing this it traps air in the back of the throat which can then be swallowed allowing him in a way to breathe on his own it's like a very 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 basic rudimentary breathing technique um mm. and so in this video uh, a physiotherapist she sits there with a the patient and uh, she basically make the gup noise but try to not make as much sound as possible so he, well, obviously he, he's not going to breathe so he can't necessarily make the noise but it's like a noise and um, that, yeah, that yeah. noise, somehow, it allows the, th- the tongue to flatten and air to get trapped in the back of your throat. And then when you, you, you do that, like, 20 times, and then you swallow that air, um, and that, that you have, right. basically it's a consistent... You have to keep doing it just to sort of get enough oxygen in your lungs. Um, but it it's hard. It's so hard. Um, and, and, you know, initially... Paul found it really, really hard. Uh, In fact, he almost gave up and was like, I I can't do this. This is just too difficult. But um, Mrs. Sullivan promised him a puppy if he could breathe without the iron lung for three minutes, which is a pretty good incentive there for an eight-year-old. And it worked. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it totally worked. Paul mastered the frog breathing technique. It was hard, though, like I say. Uh, He can't do it for too long a few hours when he's at his best because it's it's constant work like to get that air into your yeah it sounds tough yeah it's it looks so hard and kudos to anyone who can do it uh, but yeah Paul could do it to the point where he could actually get out of his lung his iron lung for a couple of hours a day which was great I imagine like just be laying there constantly not able to move and then to get out and sit in a chair and be able to like you know have a different perspective rather than the ceiling for a while Hmm. Now, naturally, he uh, would have to sleep in his iron lung since he can't breathe unconsciously. But it did mean that, you know, he could get out of the iron lung from time to time. Now, uh, Paul's parents, they rented a generator and made the decision to bring him home. The journey was apparently a nerve wracking one. What they did was they rented a truck to then put him in his iron lung in the back of it. And the generator would Mm -hmm. then be onside, constantly running to keep him alive. Uh, and apparently that that journey home was just fucking uh, honestly nerve wracking in case that generator kicked out at any moment. And they're in the truck on a road on a freeway. Just I can't even imagine how scary that was. Even Paul himself, no, for sure. Paul himself even said like when he was a kid, just laying there, the generator would make these like clicking and banging noises, and he was just concerned that at any moment that's just going to stop. And it and luckily it didn't. Yeah. Luckily it didn't, and they made it home. Paul uh, was Paul's bedroom was basically converted into the uh, living room. He lived in the living room and his parents actually decided to sleep in the living room alongside him at all times. And over time, uh, learning to ignore the mechanical wheezing of the iron lung, they began to see it more as like a soothing noise because it const- it's just constant rhythmic noises all night. And it yeah,
2: it becomes like white noise.
1: Yeah, and a generator going all the time. And eventually, like they began to see it more of a noise that it's more of a comforting noise. That noise means that his their son is he's still he's still alive. He's still breathing, and that's enough. So yeah, it, it became a, a kind of a nice noise for them to a degree. Mm. So since Paul could spend time out of his own iron lung for a few hours, his parents timed it so that he could sit in his wheelchair in the front garden while children were coming home from school. Uh, they would wave at him. They'd come talk to him. They'd push him around in his chair, play with him as much as he could. Uh, and that was really uh, that meant a lot to Paul he he said that was quite nice stimulating for me as a kid like my mind it it was good enough like he could talk by this point so uh, he he recovered from his tracheotomy he could talk a bit better Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah no that was enough like that that really did help somewhat Um, although talking was a bit of a chore for him because he was doing his frog breathing technique whilst out of the lung yeah so Paul might be permanently paralysed but that didn't mean he couldn't have some enjoyment in life he had some friends, and he learnt with lots of reassurance from his parents how to write and draw with his mouth. Again, I've sent you another image of uh, young Paul with a like a paintbrush in his mouth, and right next to him is an uh-huh. image of uh, a generic American Indian that he's managed to draw with just his mouth. Yeah, it's bloody good. It's bloody good, isn't it? It's better than I can draw with both hands. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah... Uh, paul you know although like, he can't run around and play catch and play football and shit he can draw and write with his mouth which is kind of cool so he was determined to get himself an education his parents applied for him to attend school but you know this school initially rejected him the school didn't see how actually it would benefit paul to get an education because it was like look at the quality of life What's he exactly mm. is he going to do which is not the it's not the reason to not let him go to school. Why not? Just no, let him sure. learn something. You know, he's just—he's not going to sit there and just vegetate all his life. He can learn, learn something and you know improve his mind. Yeah. So the school was like, well, he can't actually attend school premises, so he can't learn with us. And it actually took over a year of arguing with the school to finally allow Paul to be homeschooled. They wouldn't even let him get homeschooled for a while. Right. It's ridiculous, isn't
2: it? I mean, it sounds dumb, but like what? Why can't why can't he be homeschooled? I don't understand it.
1: No, I don't. Because get they it they
2: have no idea that like a cure wouldn't happen and it wouldn't be like fine one day or whatever. But yeah, just homeschool the poor poor lad.
1: Yeah, again, it's it, it sort of goes more back to the attitude towards disabled people back then. Uh, in fact, there wouldn't be there was a, a disabled rights bill in America, but that was only launched in like 1999.
0: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: So before then, like, disabled people could be discriminated against. And in this case, of course, he has been. He's, he's in a, an iron lung he can only get out there and for a couple of hours in a chair, he's paralyzed, and they're like, No, he's disabled, he can't come to school. It's like it's, he has every right to learn.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like
1: just because he's had a horrific illness doesn't mean his life is now void. Exactly. And he actually became quite a learned little boy. He read absolutely everything he could get his hands on. Uh, And by the age of 21, of course, it took a little longer for him because he has a few issues there. But at the age of 21, he actually graduated from high school with, I will tell you, straight A's, except for one. uh, He got a B in biology. Can you guess why? Could he not do some sort of like practical exam or something? Absolutely right. He couldn't dissect a frog
2: for fuck's sake
1: yeah so he got a b and he even later in life paul has expressed how pissed off that makes him even now he's like that really fucking winds me up i actually Mm. can't do something and you gave me a b for it he's so pissed off because he literally got straight a's in every single thing except for biology
2: yeah that's so unfair
1: oh yeah totally unfair but so the 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 next natural step for paul was college or university for us and why the hell not he's a smart kid he's graduated from school he's got better grades than half the kids that actually attended school in person so why not further your education and he applied to the southern methodist university in dallas and would you believe it he got rejected and you want to know why
2: Was it because of his iron lung?
1: Yeah. The university expressed to Paul that he was, "quotes" as Paul puts it, too crippled.
2: At least they put it politely. (laughs)
1: Fuckers. (laughs) Yeah, Bastards. And naturally, Paul was devastated. He actually fought tooth and nail for two whole years. He called them again and again. He even showed up to the university in person to plead his case. And eventually, the university relented, but on one condition. Well, there were two, but one of them for now. I'm not going to say the second one. Uh, that main condition was that Paul find a way to get to his classes, which is that's a hard condition to like say to someone who's paralysed. You've got to find your own yeah. way to get to classes, and then you can attend. Well, he managed it though. <laughs> he managed to get there, and considering yeah, right. his yeah, considering his condition. He had a relatively normal university experience. There were anxieties for sure, being uh the only disabled person on his campus. I mean he even said that. He's like, You've no idea how nerve wracking it is. Like there was not a single disabled person on my campus. I'm the only fucker just turning up here, people are staring, and I'm like, I've got every right to be here as much as anyone else.
2: Of course he does. Just because yeah. he's had an illness doesn't make it like Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean so, so he he pushed through. He said quotes I'll just pave away. I kind of thought of myself as representing a group. And kudos to you, man. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like it. So he still attended restaurants and he still attended the movies. He even met a girl. He fell in love. He got engaged. That was until her. Uh, until he rang her house one day, and his now fiance's wife, uh, mother picked up the phone and threatened him and banned him from ever seeing her, her daughter again and that's how his relation right. that's how his engagement uh ended unfortunately because the mother was and like did she
2: not like fight for him?
1: I don't know. I mean, he doesn't really go into it too much. He does say it was actually heartbreaking and a bit humiliating for him and it took him quite a yeah. long time to get over it. But um Yeah, of course. Yeah, the the mother was like absolutely not my daughter's not marrying someone who's paralyzed and in an iron lung. She was like not having it. Mm. So you kind of get that. You kind of get a sense of the attitude of the general populace, then. Yeah, which interestingly, like, uh, I'm right. I'm not trying to liken it to this, but it was it was a comparison that came up during my research. in in mm-hmm. In Nazi Germany during the 30s and early 40s, there was the uh, Action T four uh, uh, phase thing. Uh, that the Nazis implemented, and it was the basic the euthanization of disabled people. Yeah, you- yeah, you're aware of it, right? And they were just mm-hmm. that's kind of how they learnt to use uh, gases and chemicals to like suffocate people, which would then be used during the concentration camps. Um, yeah, where they would have just like big fucking trucks turn up, attach a fucking hose pipe to the back of the truck, and you know, kill disabled people in that way uh, and obviously that didn't last, it lasted a while but it didn't last the entirety of the war I don't believe. Uh, but yeah like that attitude not that they ought to be euthanized, but the attitude of well I'd rather not be seeing them out and about and why they got put in institutions sort of around that time and, and the UK is not uh, out of these woods as well. The UK definitely had a similar sort of attitude as well. It's should.
2: Just- yeah, it's, it's difficult to... People, I don't know, uh, I don't know if they're, like, scared of disabled people because they, like, they don't know what to say or... Like, with the with his fiance's mother, it's just, I suppose she was concerned that it would ruin the quality of life of her daughter. But then did she ever ask her daughter, like, how do you feel about this?
1: Uh, I imagine she wasn't that bothered, her daughter sort of being early 20s. She was like, now you do as I say once you live under my roof, probably.
2: But, that, it's just such a... That's a bad way of parenting, people. Bad parenting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that humiliation was enough for Paul to just pack up and transfer out of Dallas. He was like, I'm not doing it. I can't deal with this sort of humiliation. I need to get away. I need to go away, go somewhere different, and get over this, right? So he transferred himself to the University of Texas to finish his studies. And his parents completely understandably were terrified of letting him go see they devoted their entire lives by this point to caring for him there were nights in uh, there were actually nights where uh, power cuts had stopped the generator keeping his iron lung working meaning that obviously he can't breathe he will die uh potentially Mm. like it's only so long he can do his his frog breathing technique so his parents would take turns to manually pump his iron lung for him for literally hours on end, waiting for the power to return. And there was even a couple mm-hmm. of cases where, I and mean, there was quite a few power cuts going around this time, like Texas, and not so that built up a certain areas, infrastructure maybe not being there but right. Um, his parents would obviously take turns to pump, but sometimes they even got the neighbours, like the neighbours would come round to help out as well, and they would just take turns pumping this generator to keep it going. I think that's really nice. Yeah, for sure. I think that's really nice that yeah, they did that. So naturally, their parents Definitely. parents were like, "Oh, we're really anxious about you going on your own. Uh, you're not got us there to sort of help look after you." But he was determined to go. He's he's in his like mid twenties. He's like, "Listen, I want a wee bit of independence, Mum and Dad. Like, I can do this." So uh, he went. He went off to University of Texas. He hired a carer to help him, but the carer never turned up. Uh right. Yeah, seeing in. I had a Foxy done that. And this is where I going to say testament to the lads who lived in the dorms alongside Paul because they helped him in every single way. Even the most intimate of ways that Paul needed help, they did it until he could hire another carer. So kudos to them.
2: Yeah, for sure, because they didn't have to do that. So nah. nice nice people.
1: Nice, lads. Could you imagine your dorm guys, like your flatmates at university first year, like, you know, having to help you clean yourself and whatnot? Because I, I know mine wouldn't. Uh, no, I could barely get them to wash up their fucking plates, so no. <laughs> I mean, one lad who I was quite poly with in the room next to me, he managed to pull out a loaf of bread that was green because it had been sat in the cupboard Mm. for so long not only that when he actually opened up the loaf and tried to like pour it into the bin it wasn't a loaf of bread now it was dust in the form of a loaf of bread how fucking long has that been there for (laughs) i don't know it'd been there so bloody long you'd have to like
2: deep clean the cupboard as well because uh, the
1: bacteria would have spread Oh, it was awful, James. Honestly, it was, it was awful. Some of the places I've lived in whilst at uni are so... I've sizes. seen some
2: sights, but never that. We had, like, maggots once in the bin, but who doesn't? Like, that's just uni.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, any university students that are listening, please take your empty beer bottles off of any shelf or windowsill you have. It is not decoration. It is just stupid. It is, it's garbage lying around your house. Yeah, please and there'll come away. a
2: point where you realise that you have to get rid of them and it's a fucking ball
1: ache. It's easier to get rid of them as you go yeah oh and uh traffic cones are not ornaments
2: <laughs> no but they are fun to steal we had one we had um i remember in first year we were in halls and we had a sign put up in like every kitchen being like it's a criminal offense to steal cones and signs and stuff <laughs> and as soon as that was put up i just looked around my kitchen and there was like a keep clear sign and the traffic cones like, Oh fuck so what we uh... did is we put we went because we were on the top floor we put it in the lift and then we just pushed the button to the ground floor and then we just left nice. it and walked away.
1: <laughs> Very smart. <laughs> just someone yeah, else's problem. Nothing can't get nothing past these university students. They're too clever for us normies. Exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> They're there to be educated. They're a, mm. they are the future.
1: So yeah. Paul actually graduated from university and immediately enrolled himself in a postgraduate degree in law and passed out in 1984, aged 38 years old, and he got himself a job straight away teaching legal terminology to stenographers. Well, I mean, yeah, right. Two years later, he then passed the bar exam, which is how like, you become a lawyer, and was officially made a practising lawyer, which is not bad for a lad in an iron lung who was left for dead on a gurney aged six. That,
2: I mean, he was left for dead on a gurney.
1: Yeah, he was. I'm saying that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not bad for a lad who was left on a gurney to die. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 At the It's like a, a, a doctor de- like declared him dead, and now he's a yeah. lawyer. And now he's a lawyer. Like he's he's gone to he's gone to he's graduated from school. He's graduated from university. He's got a postgraduate degree. He's passed the bar. He, uh, do you know what? If you were that doctor, uh, you'd you'd want to show up to his ass, wouldn't you? You'd want to show up to that doctor's ass and be like, "Do you remember me?" And like, you said yeah. I weren't going to survive, and now look at me. I've got a fucking degree and everything. I'm a lawyer. And I'm going to sue you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Too fair, yeah. I'd be like, I, I wouldn't even sue him. I'd just be like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, how dare you try and play God when there was a chance?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was so there were like moments in Paul's life, particularly as a child, where like he would get upset and angry. Um, he he does recall once where his parents were very 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 supportive and understanding about him and his condition so uh paul obviously can't move uh, because he's paralyzed so he can't express himself like someone else might like i don't know when you're a teenager you're stupid or whatever you punch a punch a wall or kick something over or something like that. obviously paul can't do that so paul's only outlet would be to just shout and swear and holler and his parents yeah. would just sort of you know they'd never ever have a go at him for doing that because like this his only outlet like just let him get on with it so there would be a, the odd moment where he'd just be like ah for fuck's sake and just screaming and shouting the house down and they're like you're okay now and he's like yep yep okay okay getting better yeah um, and even like uh paul's brother says how um the only reason like, that's how this this is this, this story is why i i just came on today you reminded me like um his brother would say like, Paul's such a, uh, uh, he can talk you into doing almost anything that I wouldn't do for anyone else. And uh, I think there was like one occasion where someone had pissed off Paul and was like, Oh, um, I'm so fucking mad. I'm so angry. Like I wish someone would just sort of do something. I wish someone would just like throw some eggs at his house. Hmm. <laughs> so his brothers then like him and his brother went and got some eggs and he'd throw the eggs at this bloke's house for, for on Paul's behalf. <laughs> That's
2: fair. I mean, everyone likes a good egging.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that story. Anyway, Paul went on to have a successful career in law, and still, at the age of seventy-four, has clients working. He's been on flights. He's visited uh, strip clubs, nonetheless, and he lives alone. And he's done it into a strip club. Yep, yeah, yeah, he's been to strip clubs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know if you've got the same image as I have but just some uh, a stripper like sitting on top of the iron lung like it's some bloody tube but that's what <laughs> I've got in my head <laughs>
2: <laughs> that'd be the weirdest lap dance of all time
1: wouldn't it anyway uh, he's done it all right he lives alone, He's he's been on flights, he's, he's visited a strip club, and uh, he continues to push himself constantly. He wrote a book of his own memoirs, and he called it, and I think this is the best title that you could almost give it, Three Minutes for a Dog, obviously harkening back to Miss Sullivan, and he's saying, if you can do this for three minutes, I will give you a dog. And that, that breathing technique that Mr. Sullivan gave him, seriously, that that, that set him up. Almost for the rest of his life, knowing he could do that, that was like his moment. That was his independence of his own. He's like, I may not be able yeah. to do some things, but I know I can. I can make my fucking self breathe enough that I can get out of the damn thing to sit and just get some bloody fresh air and sit with some friends for once, you know. So yeah, he he wrote a book called Three Minutes for a Dog, which he wrote himself, and it it took him eight years to do that uh, using his mouth to type or uh, to dictate to his carer who would then ghostwrite for him so um, in the picture i've sent you james and for everyone listening if you want to quickly check it out on the social media um, you can see paul's neck is massive right paul's neck measures 18 inches around and his jaw muscles are huge from all the work that they have to do, because obviously he's paralysed from the neck down, so the only thing that can move is his neck and his jaw, and because mm. that works as and he's seventy-four now, because that's worked consistently for like seventy bloody years, it it's just honestly, I'll be amazed. Like his neck is insanely strong. So as I said, I mean,
2: uh, yeah, on the pitch, on the picture I'm looking at it now, you can like you can kind of see some of the neck muscles.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It's really incredible. Like his jaw's insane. You were
2: winning a. A neck fight.
1: A neck fight?
2: <laughs> I don't know how you'd have a neck fight, but he would win.
1: No, I'm just thinking, like, you know, the the, the bad guy Jaws from Bond, James Bond uh-huh. movies? I feel like he could give Jaws a run for his money in the shit. Like, if you just put stuff in his mouth and you go, crush that, he go, yeah, all right. He <laughs> could crush anything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> One thing that I'm curious,
1: though, is not, do you ever get this? That if you lie down too much during the day
2: or whatever, like, your head is just, like, spinning... Yeah. Would he not have that all the time or do you
1: think his his body's just adapted to it? I imagine his body's adapted to it and got used to it.
2: Fair enough. If I lie down for too long, like if I stay in bed for too long or if I like have a nap or something, my head just starts like whirling and you know when you stand up and your head's just like splitting.
1: Oh yeah, when you get like a blood rush if you get up too quick.
2: Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. I need to like I'm it's difficult cuz I'm lazy, but I also need to stand. It's it's a vicious vicious cycle. <laughs>
1: Like, oh you're up yeah i have to get up now i was i will just yeah <laughs> it's either
2: this or a splitting headache
1: yeah so as i said uh paul is now 74 years old he is still around bless him uh, and he intends to keep working basically until he you know goes really uh his he's iron lung he lives in or um as he calls it his old iron horse uh was no longer being manufactured after the 1960s so Paul has basically been just living on old technology to keep him alive. Mm. In fact, he has to have engineers come around. I think he has a friend of his who is an engineer. who um, He's never seen how this machine works. He's never worked on one. He doesn't know how it works. But he's literally mm. studied the blueprints for how it works just to get an idea of, oh, okay, okay, I get it. I see how it works. And he can then repair it and do basically yeah. do an MOT on it. Um, and that's sort of the only way that he can keep maintaining it so he can live in it. Now, at the time of this episode going out, Paul Alexander is one of only two people in the United States that still use an iron lung to keep them alive. Uh, The the last person in the UK to use an iron lung passed away in 2017. Now, you might wonder why still use an iron lung when they've been out of manufacture for over 50 years. Uh, I think
2: this is what most people bring up.
1: Yeah, uh, simple answer is um well that's just what he's used to he's comfortable in it he doesn't know anything else really he's not really that fussed about trying anything else so nowadays there are smaller ventilators um obviously famously used during covid at the time there are ventilators that can help you breathe um Mm -hmm. there are smaller ventilators that are more like accessible for you and mean you're not so constricted and you know you can move yeah. around and stuff but as far as paul's concerned, up like, well i can't exactly go anywhere anyway so i might as well just stay in this i know it it's, it works for me so i'm happy fair enough and yeah that's it it's just what he's comfortable with uh so yeah that, that, well that's it really that is it for paul alexander well done paul alexander for being a pretty cool dude
2: yeah fair, like he's enjoyed a hell of a lot from being literally on death's daughter i don't know i think a lot of people would have given up and he didn't and he's lived a A long life. So, fair play to
1: him. Yeah, man. Um,
2: Thanks. Is is polio cured now? Or what's the situation with polio?
1: Wow. Well, well, well. What about polio nowadays? He carries on doing his script.
2: (laughs) After saying that's it.
1: Yeah. Well, there is still no cure for the disease, unfortunately. But in 1955, a vaccine was invented that was so successful, it has almost eradicated polio from the world. So... In the UK, okay. at least, uh, it is—it's actually part of the NHS routine childhood vaccination program that every child has free access to. So, when, oh, so if you got vaccinated, we would have had it. We, we've definitely had it yeah we've had it amazing uh this has been a thing that's just been there for donkey's years the nhs routine childhood vaccination program is free because obviously we're british taxpayers it's free for every single child that is born in the uk you get a series of vaccinations for loads of different illnesses and diseases out there yeah polio being like is
2: it mMR MMR one
1: yeah yeah mumps, measles rubella or something that's it yeah um we, we we would have had all of that Alright, uh, now
2: because... You know what worries me though? And I'd I, shit you not, this genuinely worries me. So did you get a TB jab at school? Yeah. Yeah, right, okay. So you you did, the year above me did, The my year didn't. They were like, oh no, TB's gone, you don't need to. The year below me, oh no, TB's back, we better start vaccinating people. What the fuck? I haven't had a TB jab. <laughs> well, you can still get one if you're that concerned. I could, but like for some reason, my year group was just like, nah, you'll be fine. We're just like the tuberculosis fucking guinea pigs. <laughs>
1: I live in fear, constant fear. Well, on that, so because of this uh, NHS routine childhood vaccination programme, uh, polio in the UK specifically is very rare, uh, and in the United States as well. But similar to how the cleanliness of the 20th century increased the likelihood of contracting the disease more and more people are growing up in a world where deadly diseases aren't a thing see there hasn't actually been a case of polio in the united kingdom since 1984 so because of this because of this there are a generation of people who have never seen firsthand what kind of diseases our vaccinations actually protect us from and they've now begun to believe that there is a conspiracy afoot or that they are useless and it's potentially very fucking dangerous which then obviously leads on to what you just said there where they were like well tb is really not so much a thing anymore so we're not going to vaccinate you guys and it's like yes but the reason it's not a thing anymore is because we get vaccinated against it if you don't vaccinate people against it they're more likely to get it and it will come back yeah exactly uh and 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 this is sort of this is my final point on the episode is we live in a world now where i have no fucking clue what polio was before i researched this episode i've spent literally hours learning what polio is what it does how it affects you xyz right yeah paul alexander himself says in an interview uh he gets clients turn up to him at his work and they're like what are you in and he's like it's an iron lung and they're like what is it and he's like it helps me breathe and why they have no clue what it even is Mm. and that's the scary thing the iron lung is if when you i mean i'm gonna say when you think of but obviously i and you and some others of our listeners probably won't but for a lot of people when you say polio you you think of the iron lung it's almost like it's the poster boy for polio because without it, so many more people would have died. Um, yeah. And yet, as, as a generation like ours, I ain't got Scooby Doo. What that was, I couldn't tell you what it was, how it worked. Nothing. No, not at all. Uh, so, what you end up getting is a generation of people that think it's not that bad. It's it can't be that dangerous. It's not around anymore. It's fine. And then they they they'll decide. You know what? I no, I'm not having those vaccinations. I'm not having my kids have that vaccination program that is free. For everyone to have that protects you from everything. No, 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 I'm not getting my kids vaccinated. And then they get all the illnesses, and then they get the illness that then mutates and passes on to everyone else. And then all of our vaccinations are shit because your kid mm. got that disease and it mutated so that it could get into me. And it's dangerous, man. Yeah. It's so dangerous to be an anti vaxxer, it's so dangerous just because you may not have you may not have, you may not have first hand experience with like polio or mmr or any of these other deadly diseases that we have vaccinations to protect us against just because you've not seen how it works first hand doesn't mean it doesn't exist and it's not dangerous it is there for a reason and they're not trying to, they're not trying to find out how you live or what your eating habits are because I'm not being funny you post all of that shit on your social media anyway so if they want it they can find it they're not putting anything in your bloodstream they're not giving you autism you know, fuck off. Go get your vaccinations done. In fact, this is a thing. Like, it, it's even now with the COVID vaccinations,
2: people saying, "Oh, it's population control." I'm like, yeah, it is population control. Keeping more of you alive yeah. than would die of COVID. So yeah, they are controlling the population. Exactly. If you want to know what actual population control is, look at fucking China when they said that you could only have one child. <laughs> That's population control. I will point out that
1: is not a thing Vaccinating
2: anymore. Vaccinating you against a disease. No, no, no. <laughs> they've they've got rid of it. But like. I must admit the world is overpopulated for sure and I'm a firm believer that Mother Nature every now and then will fight back like it has done with COVID, like it has done with pandemics. It's all because of how we uh, interact with animals and nature, but we won't get into that because I'll go on a veganism rant. (laughs) But if we actually want to like stop all pandemics oh fuck it, I'll say it. We have to stop eating meat, we have to stop deforestation and we have to stop getting up in animals grill because the majority of hmm, majority if not nearly all pandemics stem from animals like their diseases jumping to us. Yeah. That's generally how it starts. And all and all this bullshit of all oh, COVID started in a lab. No it fucking didn't. Like it fucking didn't. It that it's that's just a wild conspiracy theory that people want to believe because it's been a shit year. <laughs> it has been a shit year. But it doesn't mean you have to put your tin four hats on and start thinking Boris Johnson's a fucking lizard. Yeah. He's a gremlin for sure, but not a lizard. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, um, if there's one thing to take away from it, go go get your vaccinations. Uh, uh, have you ever seen the series House? I haven't. No. There's a Hugh Laurie plays uh, a doctor called House, and um, he's very very funny, and it's a very good series. I recommend it to anyone. Um, there's he's a he's a doctor saying to a lady who has her baby, and the baby's got some something wrong with it, and he's like, "Has she had her vaccinations?" and uh, the mother says no 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 no, we're not getting her vaccinated and he's like oh do you know what other business does really well at the moment tiny baby coffins
2: fucking hell
1: (laughs) yeah um yeah get your kids fucking vaccinated man like so right so the, the argument against it would be you know oh but ryan you said people can contract it as a kid and they're more likely to get over it and it's like yeah 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 that's true but what if they don't and more so we live in a world that's you know i'm not there's no argument about it we live in a world that's significantly cleaner than it was back in the early 21st century right in the early 1900s Mm. uh and they weren't getting it because it they were living in a clean world and they were shitting in an outhouse and wiping their asses with newspaper if they couldn't afford it do you know what i mean Mm. like we've got debt hole and fucking everything's clean to high every to high heaven it's clean you seriously don't think that you're not going to get it as a kid which means you may get it as an adult and it's going to be significantly worse just go get yourself a vaccination why not it's no harm is it
2: yeah we're literally living in a fucking pandemic now this last year has just like we've seen how many variants and mutations of the same disease luckily the vaccines seem to work well against them because as we get cleaner also our science develops which is why another argument against people people getting the vaccine, like, oh, it's being rushed through, it's not safe. Yeah, it was fucking quick. But I'll tell you why it's quick. It's because every government of every country fucking everywhere put so much fucking money into getting this vaccine that it could be rushed through. Mm. I think it it shows what can happen if you put every great mind to the same task. We We got yeah. rid of it. We got well. Yeah. We haven't got rid of COVID. It's
1: going to become seasonal. But hey, that's another hurdle there. But hey, listen, it, it'd be amazing to see what the humans could do if they pulled all their resources together and just you know got on with it.
2: Exactly. But then people are saying, why can't you cure cancer? And that is because cancer is completely different because that's a cell-based disease. You can't. The, the, it's not viral. It's not a bacteria. It's like everybody has cancer. It's just when your cells become cancerous.
1: Hey, listen. Moreover, to be a bit controversial, you can make more money from people having cancer than you do from curing it.
2: Yeah, true, especially in uh, big pharma
1: countries. Mm. So, yeah, uh, long story short, it's not going to kill you, is it? Go get yourself a vaccination to make sure that people like Paul Alexander don't get polio and paralysed again.
2: Exactly. I think uh, this last year, I believe in like every general election now and every election around the world. One of the big topics should be what is your pandemic preparedness? What would you do? Yeah. Because this last year has been fucking shite. And we must ensure that it never happens ever, ever again. Because we seem to be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now, which is fantastic. But God, we never want to come back here. Because before this happened, this time last year, I think it was just really kicking off in England. Everyone was a bit like, fuck, this is serious. But two months prior, we were just like, oh, look at that in China. That's a bit bad. And yeah. like, we didn't give a shit because we didn't think anything like this could happen. Mm. And we've all just lost a year of our lives because of how we live
1: yeah so yeah that's uh that's the story of paul alexander the last of the iron lungs and uh that episode uh topic was a recommendation from Fay. so thank you very much Faye, for that recommendation um well done you managed to get a very long episode out of us from it so, i loved it um i hope you guys <laughs> in- name. yeah yeah i think so uh well done paul thank you for existing um thank you everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode uh do we have any idea what we're doing next week james I ain't got a fucking clue. Who did I do last week? What,
2: what did I do? Uh,
1: William Wallace. Bad person do.
2: next week. Or, or William Wallace's grey area, isn't he? Depending on who you are. Um, Yeah, fuck it. I'll go bad. I'll go evil. No idea who. We'll see. <laughs> we'll we'll see.
1: I look forward to that, guys, next week. We've got someone bad. We're going back to the nasty next week. Um, So, yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, make sure you follow us on other socials if you haven't already. Um if you don't by now you probably won't so it's too late uh if you are listening to us on apple podcasts i believe it's the only real podcast platform that you can rate and review us uh please do so it would be very very much appreciated uh it helps the channel grow channel i keep saying that i think i'm like some youtube or whatever we're podcasters i'm a podcaster that is my it's gonna be my job title one day i'm gonna introduce myself to someone be, oh what do you do and i say i'm a podcaster I go, oh interesting I go, yeah i make more money than you <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> i just had a, I had a moment <laughs> i just had a moment anyway uh rating reviewers give us a five star say hello if you fancy doing that stuff uh if you want to donate to the show you can do and uh, you can find a link to our Kofi page on our uh all of our social media basically www.ko-fi.com forward slash that's what people do and that's about it i believe unless i've forgotten anything uh anyway so yeah join us next week thank you very much for listening see you later